So we have uh, been feasting for the last couple of weeks with the theme, Dare for More. I had a, a member talk to me this week. She, she said to me, Pastor, that series just came at the right time. It's just inspired me to, to dare for more. And, you know, for a preacher to hear that, that just uplifts his spirit because he feels and believes that, uh, the messages are actually making an impact. And so it is my prayer that these sermons that you have heard so far have actually impacted your thinking. But I don't only want to impact your thinking. I want to impact your doing. In fact, this morning, this sermon is called Dare to Do Right. Dare to Do Right. Allow me to read our text of scripture. Uh, we began in Isaiah uh, chapter 10, verse 20 last week. But I want to reverse things this morning, and I want us to look at verse number 1 to verse number 10. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 1 to verse number 10. I'll be reading this morning. I'm preaching from the New King James Version of the Bible. The Word of God says, The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Take note of verse number two, which says, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner the donkey its master's crib but israel they don't know my people do not consider now here i want you to notice that the shift the prophet breaks out in what we call a song of lament he's crying out alas all sinful nation a people laden with iniquity a brood of evildoers children who are corruptors they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. And they have turned away backward. Verse 5, the prophet is asking a lamentable question. Why will you be stricken again? And then he answers, you will revolt more and more. Now notice how he describes this terrible situation. He says, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of your foot to the head, there is no soundness in it. There is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying, I can't even say that word right, putrefying sores. They have not been closed up or bound up. There is no soothing ointment for them what a sad situation listen to verse number seven your country is desolate your cities are burnt with fire strangers devour your land in your presence it is desolate as damaged as damaged by strangers Judah, or the daughter of Zion, is like a booth 
in a vineyard. As a hut in a cucumber, cucumber field is the daughter of Zion. As a besieged city is a daughter of Zion. Look at this hopeful verse in verse number 9. It says, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. And verse 10 says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God or to the law of our God. You people of Gomorrah, dare to do right, dare to do right. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, speak, speak, and speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever treated somebody good, but they returned bad to you? Have you ever treated somebody good, but they returned bad to you? You borrowed somebody money, but they didn't pay back. You know what I'm talking about? You allowed somebody to sleep at your place, Sister Lara, but they spread rumors about you. You got someone a job, but they don't speak to their boss on your behalf. Because you need a job. You opened up to a friend, but they told your story to everybody. You treated somebody good, but instead of them giving you good back, they treated you in a terrible way. You see, life is crafted in such a way that just because you are good to somebody does not mean that they're going to be good right to you back. Just because you have shown a good hand, it doesn't mean that they're going to give you a good hand. You will need to be comfortable with that reality if you want to live a less stressful life. I'm speaking to brothers and sisters who right now you are wondering and worried about why the person you were so kind to has been so bad to you. You don't understand what you did. You are going through your head and your mind replaying every step, every action, every intention, every motivation, everything that you thought about. You're going through it in your head to try to figure out what is it that I possibly did wrong? What mistake did I commit? What error? What default? What fault? What failing? What foible did I do? But as you analyze the records of your interactions, as you look at the DMs, as you look at the posts that you had with this particular individual, you see that you are squeaky clean. And I just want you to know that that's how life is sometimes, that the good that you do is not going to come back to you in, 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 in good. In fact, it may come back to you in hurt and in harm and disappointment. We feel bad for sure in these moments. We don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it at all when somebody has treated me bad after I've given them good. But you know, I'm setting you up for something. 
Because God feels the same way. Now notice that in verse number two, God is complaining about his good being met with bad. He says, uh, I, have, I have nourished and brought up children. I have nourished and, and brought up children. I have put in the effort. I have, I have invested in my people. I have done what a good parent is supposed to do, but they have rebelled against me. Uh, God, God, God says the the ox knows its owner and the donkey knows its master's crib. But Israel, Putra, does not know. My people do not consider. In other words, God is saying uh, they have treated me so bad to the point that animals are better than them. Mm. Could it be that we are worse off than animals? At least you whistle for your dog and your dog comes to you and wags his tail. But when God whistles to you, you say, mm -mm, mm -mm, I'm coming, God, I ain't coming. When God says come, when God says do, you tell him, God, uh-uh. And God is saying, after all I've done, after all I've invested in you, is this what you're going to give to me? Is this what you are going to repay me with? After I've been such a good parent to you and I have given you kisses and uh, kisses of mercy and kisses of grace and hugs of compassion. I have, I have given you hugs of, of forgiveness. I have, I have taken you from what you were, a, a, a backstabber. I, I've taken you from what you were, a, a proud person. I've taken you from what you were, stuck in the addiction of, of, of pornography and stuck in the addiction of pride. I've, I've taken you from there. At least I deserve something from you. But instead of giving God what he deserves, you tell him, God, I don't want to hear from you. Uh, you got none to say to me. So it, it occurred to me that um, God's goodness doesn't always elicit right doing in a believer. Now, I was asking myself this question. Is, is there something wrong in the goodness of God? Like, like what did God do wrong? Did God pamper the, the, the people of Judah too much? Did he not... Uh, give them his requirements? Was he not as strict as he should have been? Was God the problem? Was he the one to blame? And, and that's where it is sometimes. You, you double check yourself. And I'm, I'm speaking to a parent right now who is asking himself the very same question. I have done all that I could for my kid. Put him in the right school, invested him correctly, but today he doesn't want to speak to me. Today he doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Somebody's asking themselves that question. I worked hard, I put in the effort, but I got fired. Why? How come that I've done the right thing, but... I haven't gotten what I deserve. And I want to suggest to you that the problem here is not God. God is not the problem. God, his goodness, your goodness is not the problem. We need to contemplate on the other party. Because that is where the problem is often a lot of times. You see, psychiatrists have a, have a thinking uh, today that oftentimes it is the environment that shapes a person. Intrinsically, a child is born to be good. Listen to that, Putra. When you were born, you were born as a good kid. But if you interact in the wrong environment, you interact with the wrong kind of friends, if you get into the wrong habits, those things will shape you and mold you into something bad. That is what psychiatrists believe today. Unfortunately, or fortunately, one psychiatrist doesn't agree. 
While he understands that an environment can affect you, but this is what he says, and I found this to be a crucially important. He says, there are things that, that people do that cannot be shaped or changed even. Let me read that again. There are things that people do that cannot be shaped or changed by even the best or worst environment. So he, he's saying counter counterintuitive, counter thinking of psychiatrists today. He's saying, no, the reality is it's not the environment only. We must consider that intrinsically there is something fundamentally amiss. There is something out of place with the individual that has turned out to be bad. And so let me tell you and encourage you, my friend, that it is not you who is the problem. It is not you who is to blame. It is not you who is at fault, but it is in reality the other party. Something is really drastically wrong with them. And this is what I want us to contemplate this morning. And I want to challenge us this morning that we need to understand that sometimes when we do wrong things, it is because there is something rotten in our system. There is something that is wrong. And unless we understand that wrongness, and unless we get to the bottom of that, then we are going to continue continue to do the wrong things last week i told you dare to make it right and many of you understood what i meant by that that is uh, go back to the precise situation that you uh, committed an, an error in and and fix it now you see to make it right is a step but i'm suggesting and i'm i'm, I'm wanting to tell you this morning that making it right is not enough you need to do right and therefore, if we are to do right and, and, and we're to do the right thing, we need to understand why wrong happens in our lives, why things do not work out as we think we should. And I'm going to challenge you today with three concepts. And after three concepts, I'm going to let you go and cut you loose. You see, the first concept we need to understand is the habit of wrongdoing. Is the habit of wrongdoing. You see, this text in verse number two captivates my thinking. Notice how the text begins, and I want to read it a little slower to you. It says, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. Uh, God is making, um, he's laying out his case. And then he says, For the Lord has spoken. He says, I have nourished and brought up children they have rebelled against me then he says the ox knows its owner the donkey is master's crib but they do not understand this text captivates my mind especially when i centralize my thinking on the word rebel now what i began to understand is that when you think about the word rebel it is really to do with the idea of bypassing what is right the idea of bypassing God's authority. This is why God is complaining. He's saying, these people, they are rebelling against me. And what I began to understand is that the people rebelling against God is because they are bypassing God's authority. So the habit is this idea in us, in you, in me, to do our own thing. Don't you have that rebellious streak? 
When your parents tell you to do something, when your boss tells you to do something, when your pastor tells you to do something, when somebody tells you to do something, you're like, nah, I don't want to do it like that. I want to do it my own way because in you, there is this tendency, there is this little inky, inky habit to want to do the wrong thing. And so I want you to understand that the first concept to centralize our thinking this morning is that wrongdoing is a habitual tendency to bypass God's authority. That's you and me right there. Now, when I was uh, growing up, me and my friends would always talk about our 18th birthday because at 18 an american teen gets to leave behind his the 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 strictures and the straitjacket of parental authority at 18 a youth can be like you know what mommy daddy i don't want to live with you no more I don't want to be under your authority no more. In fact, I, I, I even became bold to tell my parents, I said, you know, you know, when I turn 18, you can't tell me what to do anymore. That is how you and me are crafted. That is how you and me are shaped. We have this idea of, I want to live my life. <laughs> Sister Laura, at one point, you're going to have to debate with uh, Melissa. She's going to tell you, mommy, I want to do my thing. He could be like, no, I'm your, I'm your daddy. I'm your mom. And I, no, I'm, I'm old. I'm grown. I am, I can think for myself. That is where you and me are. And unfortunately, a lot of times we bring the same thinking uh, to God. But what I need you to understand is that when we develop the habit of wrongdoing, what it does is, Pastor Johannes, it weakens and deadens our relationship with God. Eh... Uh, a relationship expert emphasized that when you do the wrong habits in a relationship, it will weaken the relationship. For example, if you're passive aggressive, you know, that can weaken a relationship. Uh, other things that I noted, uh, for example, if you don't display appreciation on a daily basis. I don't know, you better listen to this, my brother. If you don't display appreciation on a daily basis, that can ruin a relationship. If you neglect time with your partner, you don't spend time, you don't, you don't invest the time, that can really hurt a relationship. You don't set boundaries. Everything goes with you. You don't, you, you don't know how to say tida. You don't, you don't know how to say that. You got to be able to say no if you are to, uh, to strengthen your relationship. Uh, you don't fight fair, right? You, 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 you bring up things from the past. You, you do all kinds of things and you don't fight fair. That kind of habit can deaden a relationship. Having unrealistic expectations can deaden a relationship. And so this uh, expert in relationships made this uh, 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 observation that I want to borrow from her. Uh, she says, healthy daily habits are a way to actively bring the positive into the focus of the relationship dynamic and are essential to maintaining a solid relationship. Uh, if we are to maintain a solid relationship with God, uh, don't miss this, we need to develop the habit of right doing. That is, Lord, you run my life. Lord, I, I, will, I will invite you into my life. And when you tell me go, I will go. When you tell me stop, I will stop. When you tell me turn, I will turn. When you tell me back up, I'll back up. When you tell me go forward, I'll go forward. When you say maju, I'll go maju. When you say deblockang, I'll go deblockang. When you control my life, when you direct my life, I will, not, I will not be the director. I'll be the actor. 
factor in my life. And too many of us, unfortunately, we are trying to direct our own lives. And unfortunately, we're trying to direct our own lives. We always make mistakes in our lives because God is the one who can see better. God is the one who knows better. God is the one who does better. And when we allow him, oh, we allow him to direct our lives, then our lives are going to go the right way. But when God has nothing to do with your life, when you make decisions by yourself, the relationship with God is broken. And this is why God is complaining in verse number four. He says, they have forsaken the Lord. You know what to forsake the Lord is? To tell the Lord, you know what, get out of my life. I, I don't want you. Shh, go, go. He, he says, they have, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. This translation is not correct. The, 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 the translation is, they have rejected. In other words, they have broken the relationship. They have said, it's over, Lord. And, 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 and the last thing that has happened is this. They have gone away backward. Now, now this text, oh my goodness, is really flabbergasting me when I, when I read it again. Because this is what is happening. Because they have broken the relationship with God. They are doing a reverse engineering on their salvation. What God has already progressed them into, bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them into Canaan, and growing them into this powerful nation. What they have done by forsaking God and provoking him to anger and, and, and going away backward, what they have done is they are going back. It's as if God is saying, I don't know who you are no more. I don't understand you no more. You and me, we have gone apart. And so let me bring it to somebody right here and make it clear. You see some Salvation from God is something that he starts with you. It is something that he continues with you. And it's something that he ends with you. But the moment God comes out of your life, the moment that God is not invested in your life, guess what you're doing? You are returning back to the place that you were before God touched your life. Have you not noticed that when you're not praying as you should, have you not noticed when you're not serving God as you should, have you not noticed when you're not being involved in church and doing what you should, have you not noticed when you're not reading the word of God as you should that you start to go back to the old things? Your pride starts to dance around you again. <laughs> You know what I mean? Those those thoughts to watch that you that you that which you shouldn't be watching starts to come back on you again. That that desire to put a little smoke to your to your lips starts to come again because you cannot be saved by yourself. Because you need God. You need the relationship to propel you to the next step, to propel you to the next step after that, to propel you to the next, next step after that. And too many of us, we tell God, God, I don't want you. I can run my own life, but I'm here to tell you, you cannot run your own life. You cannot run your own life. So that is the problem. Why we have a tendency to do wrong because we, we tend to try to get God out of the picture. And when we get God out of the picture, uh, it becomes, uh, it loses focus. We can't see clearly and, and we get lost. So that is the habit of wrongdoing. But let me tell you the second concept that we need to understand this morning. And that is the impact of wrongdoing. The impact. You see, the prophet of God is crying. He says, alas, this is a cry right here. He says, alas, sinful nation. This declaration to call Israel a sinful nation is, uh, is, 
is a shocker. Because God, the prophet is basically saying, you are no longer my people. God is saying, I don't look at you as the Israelites. I look at you as uh, the Philistines and, and all the other things. I look at you like them. I don't look at you as my people. He says, a people laden with iniquity. A people laden with iniquity. In other words, he's saying they are full of guilt. They're full of guilt. They're really loaded with guilt. He says, a brood of evil doers. He says, you are like children that are born to do evil. Mm. Then he says, children who are corruptors. Corruptsy. In fact, where, where we are right now, there's a corruption bureau. These guys need to go to the corruption bureau. They need to go there. He says, you are corrupt because you're doing wrong things. And so I began to understand that the impact of wrongdoing is that God is not able to recognize us anymore. Notice that God cannot recognize his own people. He doesn't know who they are. They're totally transformed. And so I began to understand, and I want to bring this to you, that the persistence in wrongdoing makes you resistant to God's recognition. I'm going to let that settle in. Uh, you, can, you can tweet that. You know, I mean, put it on Instagram. You know, uh, This is a, a tweetable statement right here. Let me read it again for you. You see, persistence in wrongdoing makes you resistant. To God's recognition. Uh, Pastor, I don't understand what you mean. Well, I'm going to tell you what I mean in a moment. You see, I use face recognition on my, on my phone. I just need to put my phone to my face and it recognizes me right away and my phone opens up. But as a good social distancer, Mark, I have been, I have sometimes tried and I have attempted to use my face ID on my phone, but my phone has always resisted. It has always resisted. I go back and I'm trying to, hey, you can't see my eyes. At least you can see my eyes, but my phone resists. And I persist and I persist. But the more I persist with the mask, <laughs> the more I persist with the covering, the phone cannot recognize me. And so I want you to understand that a lot of times when we, we, we wrongdoing or doing the wrong thing is like a mask. And so when you come to God, God cannot recognize you. God doesn't know who you are. You can persist by praying. You can persist by reading the word of God. You can persist by preaching. You can persist by doing a good thing. You can give somebody money. You can persist by telling your wife, I love her every morning. I love you every morning. You can persist. But as long as there is a mask of wrongdoing, God cannot recognize you. <laughs> well, let me make it plain and make it clear for you. Uh, you know the story of the five and five wise and five foolish virgins. And these virgins, all of them together, you couldn't see the difference whether they were wise or foolish. But the difference was known at the last moment. And they come to Jesus, knocking on the door of heaven, I call it. And they are knocking, Master, it is us, the five foolish virgins. And Jesus says, I don't know you. Lord, you don't know us? Lord, how can you not know us? We are virgins, just like the other virgins. Lord, how can you not know us? We have lamps, just like the other virgins. Lord, how can you not know us? We were with the other virgins together. But Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't recognize you because there is a mask on you. Brother and sister, hear me carefully. It doesn't matter the good that you do. 
It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you preach. But if there is a mask in your life, God cannot recognize you. And too many of us, I'm sorry to tell you, because the people we are reading about in Isaiah chapter 1, they are the preachers. They are the teachers. They're the Sabbath school teachers. They're the ministry doers. They're these people who invest their time in the work of the Lord. But God says, I don't know you. I can't recognize you. There's a mask in your life. You're doing the wrong thing. And I told you about this last week. I, I told you that these guys were going to church. They were bringing sacrifices. But what was wrong is that their relationships with people were wrong. And because their relationship with people were wrong, God says we have a problem. You have to make it right. Because God doesn't look at everything that is good in your life. God centralizes and focuses on the one thing that is wrong. He focuses on the mask. And when the mask is right there, God says, hmm, I cannot recognize you. And so listen to me. When you, when you develop in your heart the desire to do the right thing, that makes you recognizable before God. That willingness to say, you know what, Lord? You run my life. And, and when you tell me this is the right thing, when you tell me that this is a path I should go, when you inspire me to, uh, to, to give money, when you inspire me, I should, I should say sorry. When you inspire me to do certain things, I, I would do it. I want to do it. I, I, I want the right thing. You know, unfortunately, let me put it to you like this. Some of us are like convicts who go back to jail. We come out. The convicts come out of jail. You know, but because they're not used to living in society, they don't know how to obey laws. They don't know how to pay taxes. They don't know how to, to, to do the right thing. They end up committing a crime again so that they can go back to jail. And too many of us Christians, we, we don't know the right thing. We, we, we are used to what is wrong. And therefore, it's like we keep going back to the same old thing because we don't know any better. But today, you and I can say, you know what? I want to stop. I want to stop. I want to take the mask off. I want to stop. I want to take the, the burdens off. Today, I want to. Start doing what is right. Today I want to start living my life for God's glory. Today I want to live my life for his will. I mean, have you ever woke up in the morning and say, you know what, Lord, today anything that you tell me to do, I'm going to do. But yeah, when your boss tells you, uh, I want you to do like this, like that, man, you are there on your computer working, typing hard. When your teacher tells you that I'm, I'm, if you do the assignment the right way, you're going to get a grade. We work hard. We put in the effort. But what about somebody who is better than your teacher? Have you thought about that? Somebody who is better than your boss. Somebody who is not simply trying to work you to get out of you, but someone who is trying to work you <laughs> so he can, he can get you up. He can, he can what about somebody who is investing everything in your life? Why not putting more effort to somebody who cares? Now you see, I just don't want you to think that uh, the, the impact of the wrongdoing was them not being recognized by God. But I want you to see that in verses number 5 to verse number 8, you will begin to see that the impact uh, affected the people of God externally. Now, verses number 5 to verse number 8 describe an invasion. This invasion could have happened in 735 B.C. It could have happened in 701 B.C. Uh, you know, historians, they ping pong between these two dates. But for me, I just want you to know that there was an invasion. 
And this invasion came from an external force that impacted the people of God. It came from an outside source that affected and impacted how they lived. So I want you to notice how the prophet explains to us what happened. Listen to this very carefully in verse number 5 and to verse number 8. The prophet is asking the question, why should you be stricken again? Well, he answers, you revolt more and more. Uh, he's asking it this way. You are suffering. You're impacted because you do the wrong thing. But even though, check this putra, get this. Even though God has punished you, you still insist to do the wrong thing. I want to talk about my little, my brother right now. Uh, maybe he'll kill me later when he's watching this, uh, this sermon. Uh, my brother got used to being beaten by my dad. To the point that when my dad beat him, he no longer felt it. In fact, he would welcome the beating of my dad. And I'm like, bro, listen, I don't know how you got used to it because I could never get used to my dad beating me. You understand what I'm saying? I could never get used to it. You know what I mean? If my dad beats me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. But my brother could take it. And he's just there sitting, you know, and he's not, he's not faced. This is what has happened to Judah. God has been punishing them. God has brought an invasion on them. But the invasion does not elicit reflection. It only instigates them to do even worse. So this is what the prophet says. The whole head is sick. The whole head is sick. The whole, the whole heart faints from the sole of your foot. No, from the sole of your foot to the head. There is no soundness in it. You are not, you are not healthy. You, 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 are, you, are, you are sick. And so he's imagining Judah and Israel as being sick. And that is the, the impact of wrongdoing. It makes you sick. It, it makes you unhealthy. It brings a terminal disease upon you. But this was not a physical disease. It was not a cancer. It was not a heart attack. It was actually a description of a financial external impact. In other words, these brothers were bankrupt. In other words, these brothers lost their investment. In other words, these brothers lost their property. In other words, these brothers lost their stocks. They, they lost their, their money. They were broke. In fact, in verse number 7, it becomes clear that he's talking about an economic impact. He says your country is desolate. You know what desolation is? Desolation is, it is laid bare. He says your cities are burnt with fire. And then he puts it like this. Your strangers, strangers are eating your land in your presence. It's like bullies have come into your country. Foreigners have come into your country. And they are enjoying your country more than you. And you have lost everything. And he says, the daughter of Zion, talking about the city of Jerusalem, because the daughter of Zion is just a beautiful exp expression of how dear Jerusalem was. He says, the daughter of Zion is left like a hut in a vineyard. Mm. Has lost everything. It is no longer that beautiful Jerusalem of David. It is no longer the beautiful Jerusalem of of, of Solomon. It is no longer that Jerusalem. And I want you to understand that the impact of wrongdoing is that something in your life is going to be affected. You know, notice that the first impact was God cannot recognize them. But here God is saying, it's not only that I can't recognize you, but the impact will be that you're going to lose something material, something tangible. And a lot of times what God will do, listen to me carefully. A lot of times what God will do is that he will impact what is dear to you. 
He'll impact what you care about because what you care about is mostly going to get you to think. And so God will impact you in a way that will say, Lord, you're really hitting me right here. Because of the thing that you care about the most is what God will utilize to be able to get your attention the most. So whether you care about your job, you might be having problems at work. If your care is entertainment, you, you see that there's problems there. If your care is uh, your career, you're going to see that there are problems there. Whatever your care is, it is going to be impacted by God. Now, you might tell me, Pastor, I don't understand. Why, why, would, why would God hurt me? Why would God bring this upon me? And I want you to understand something, that we have nerves. Nerves, they are deployed all over the body. They're all over your body. You can feel them. They're there. When you have an injury, the nerves are able to pinpoint the injury and they transmit to your brain that there's been an injury. So, for example, Goon, you bump your, your elbow on the door. It's going to communicate to your brain that, hey, you've bumped your door, right? You've bumped your, your, your elbow on the door. If, if, if Laura, you, you're walking and you trip, your, 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 your nerves are going to communicate to your body that, hey, you trip. Because the nerves are there to, re- to help you to know that there's something wrong. And so when God impacts you in your life, in the very thing that you care about, he wants to let you know that there's something wrong. Yes, it might be going good in the business. It might be going good in the family. It might be going good at work. But God is saying, there is something wrong with your spiritual life. There is something wrong with your relationship. And because you don't recognize that there's something wrong, let me, let me bring an impact. Let me bring an injury. Let me bring an external impact to you so that you can recognize and you can see that there's something wrong. And so oftentimes, when God is trying to get our attention, he will impact us with injuries. I call them injuries. He'll make us limp. He'll make it hard to get out of bed. I'm talking about injuries, not physical ones. But he'll make it difficult for us because he wants to let us know there is a little wrong in your life. There's a mask. There's something that I need to take care of. And just because, just before you... You, 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 you are tempted to believe that God is sweet and cute all the time. I'm here to tell you he's not a teddy bear all the time. Yeah, you can hug God. God. You know what I mean? God, you can give him a hug. You can, you can, you can lean upon God. But the goodness of God does not stop him from his correction of you. The goodness of God does not stop the correction of God. Because God loves you too much to let you do the wrong thing. He wants to bring you back. And I need to understand that God is like, uh, is like braces. You know braces. Braces, they are put into the teeth of somebody to correct either crowding, crooked teeth, or an overbite. They're, they're, they're used for correction, to create, to correct a problem. And God functions the same way. He can see there is something crooked in your life. He can see that there's crowding in your life. He can see that there's, a, there's an overbite in your life. And therefore, he, he will correct himself. But here's the thing. Braces, cor- the correction of braces takes a little long sometimes. I have had friends who have had braces for a year, two years. Because that, the correction requires that uh, the, the, the braces will reshape the bones and reshape the jaw structure. 
And so sometimes the correction of God may not be one month or two months or three months. The correction of God might take a little longer than what you expected because the impact of the the wrong in your life requires the, the measurement that God measures in order to correct it. But I want you to understand that when God has corrected you, when he has fixed you, guess what? He can recognize you. Then he can say, yeah, that's my son. <laughs> that's my girl right there. We had rough times. It wasn't working out. A couple years ago, we were not on speaking terms. We were not good, but today we are good. The relationship is fixed. And so if God recognizes, recognizes you, that's the only recognition that you need. When God recognizes you, that's the only thing that matters. And that's the impact that God brings in your life to correct the wrong that has happened in your life. Uh, but allow me not to only talk about the habit of wrongdoing. Not only talk about the impact of wrongdoing, but let me tell you about the antidote of wrongdoing. Let's talk about that for a moment. You see, I love this passage because it really speaks volumes to me. It says, unless the Lord of hosts, listen to this text. So unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant. We would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. And now you see. The prophet, he contrasts, Mark, look, look, listen to this. He contrasts the goodness of God and the badness of Judah. And this is how it happens in the text. Look at it carefully. He says, God has left to you a very small remnant. The invasion came. They were impacted. But God ensured that there was a little, a little something left. He left a small remnant. He left a small group of people that were not destroyed and that were not killed. God's goodness being shown to them. But then he says, but you have become like the people of Sodom. Now you know about Sodom. There in Sodom in Genesis chapter 19, just to give you a little preview. You can read about this later. Uh, there are these visitors that come to visit Lot and the men of the city know that there have been men who have come to visit Lot. And these men who have come to visit Lot here and knock on the door. And, 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 and Lot, as a good guest, I mean, as a, as a good um, host, opens the door and speaks to these men. They say, we want to sleep with the men that have come to you to visit you tonight. Lot says, you know what? Uh, let's not abuse these men. They're visitors. I will give you my own daughters. Uh, the man says, look, man. Nah, we, 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 we don't like that. We, we, we like to do our own thing. It's a little different. And so he's saying you have become like Sodom. You are so bad that you are like Sodom. You're so bad that, that, that you, you are that terrible. And we know that Sodom was destroyed. It was, it was God rained fire on Sodom and destroyed the city. But in a move that is amazing to me, Putra, check this, my brother. In a move that is amazing, instead of God destroying Judah and destroying his people like Sodom, the text says he saved some of them. And that is the goodness of God right there. You see, I want you to understand that the antidote to wrongdoing is the goodness of God. You see, when you have been doing something wrong, what you need to do is to look at the goodness of God. And you begin to see, oh my goodness, I am so bad, but God is so good. You begin to see that I deserve to die, but God saved me. You see, what we need to, in order to see the goodness of God is to have another vision 
and another, another view of Jesus Christ. We need to look at him one more time and see him leaving heaven and coming to earth and becoming a peasant. We need to look at him one more time. That he never had a home. He never owned an apartment. He never had a car. He had to walk from every place. And even though he never owned anything, yet he gave the most. We need to look at Jesus one more time. That he had a friend called Judas. Expected him to have his back. But Judas kissed him with the kiss of death. We need to look at Jesus one more time. There on the mountain of Golgotha. Lying on that cold hard cross. I can just imagine that the pieces of wood were piercing his body. I can just imagine the, the nails going through his, his hands and, and his feet. And just how painful that was. We need to look at Jesus one more time. Because when we see Jesus, we see the goodness of God. When we see Jesus, we see God has been so good to me when we look at the good when we look at Jesus we see I could have been lost but God says I I don't want you to be lost I'm gonna give you a way out and I love what Paul says the writer of Hebrew says how how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation in other words if God has been so good to you why are you doing so bad if God has been so good to you why are you doing so bad because you see, when you see the goodness of God, it touches your heart. It, it melts you. It takes away that stoniness. It takes away that rebelliousness. It, it makes you say, you know what, I want to drop the habit of wrongdoing. It makes you say, you know what, I, I don't want to be impacted in such a way that God cannot recognize me. I want the goodness of God. I, I want to do better. One writer, I love how she puts it. It would do well if we would take a thoughtful hour to meditate. On the life of Jesus, especially his last scenes on earth. You know, meditate Jesus in, in, in Matthew chapter uh, 20, 26. There in Pilate's hall, being beaten by soldiers and being smacked around, being spat upon. Hey, him carrying that cross, walking to Golgotha and not having enough strength to be able to lift it up. Uh, meditate on that and see what it does to your psyche. Because you begin to see, you know what? Hey, God, you're so good. God, you're too good. Help me to, to reciprocate your goodness. Help me to, to enjoy what you have given to me. One of the regrets that I have is that while I was in the Philippines, I never enjoyed the goodness of the Philippines as I should have. I didn't visit Palawan. That's the picture right there. I never visited Palawan. Beautiful place. I could have gone, but I never did. It is, the, it is the greatest tragedy to have so much goodness, but yet allow it to go to waste. And you and I, when we choose to not allow the goodness of God to impact us and, and change us and, and to help us to be better people, uh, to help us to drop uh, those, uh, those character flaws, to help us to be a little bit better, when we we neglect those things. We are losing a great opportunity. God wants to impact you. God wants to change your life. But it needs to come to say, you know what, Lord, you've been so good to me. I want to reciprocate that. I want to, I want to, I want to allow that to impact me. So the goodness of God is what we need. But notice that the last text in, 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 in the chapter 
really speaks volumes. And I, I want to just kind of settle and land the plane a little bit right here. After God says, I have spared you. I didn't spare Sodom. I spared you. Then God says, hear the word of the Lord. He says, hear what I got to say. I mean, after all, if somebody has been so good to you, you're going to want to listen to them. You understand what I'm saying? If somebody pays your bill, you will listen to what they have to say. So God is saying, I have paid your bill. Can you pay attention to me right here? And that's what he's saying. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Listen to me right here, right now. Listen to what I have got to say. And I want you to understand that this is very critical in order for us to be able to do right. If we are to do right, we have to understand and listen to the one who is right. We have to listen to the one who speaks what is right. We have to listen to the one who sets the pace in what is right. And the only way we can do that is when we listen to what he has got to say. And so he's saying, listen to me. Listen to what I have got to say because if you can take what I have to say, it's going to impact your life. It's going to change you. It's going to transform you. It's going to do amazing things in your life. And so I have news for you today. If you really want to do the right thing, if you really want to be on the path with God, you need to learn to listen to what he has got to say. Because he sets the path in what's right. And I want you to understand this. You have not heard the word if you do not do the word. Notice God says in the text, hear the word of the Lord. Now, we're not talking about selective hearing. Some of us are good at that. We're not talking about selective hearing. We're talking about active hearing. We're talking about active listening. Hear the word. You know, when you listen to somebody actively, you are listening to what they are saying to understand what they've got to say. I wonder if you listen to God and what he has to say. <laughs> but too many times we, we pick and choose little scriptures here and there. You know those ones? You, you know those ones? Let me tell you those ones. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ooh, we like those ones. But we don't listen to what he has to say before that where he says, whether you're in poverty, whether you are sick, whether this you should be content. Oh, God, I don't want that. But this one, I want that. And so we, we, we pick and choose what we listen to. We are selective readers of the scriptures. But I want you to understand that if you have not heard the word, if you have not listened to what God has have to say, you cannot do the word. That's why he's saying hear the word of the Lord. Because to hear in the scriptures, it's not just to hear, it is to do what you know. So he says hear the word. You see, the power of the word is when the word is applied. You see, I've, I've been reading a book. It's called GTD, Getting Things Done by uh, David Allen. And in, in the book, he proposes a stress-free uh, productivity. He says the first thing you need to do is to list down everything that you are thinking about. Like empty your mind, list it down. Then once you have listed it down, then you need to, uh, to clarify it. Like, okay, I want to read a book. Well, what book are you going to read? So you clarify. Then once you have clarified it, then you need to organize those things. Then once you have organized those things, then you need to put them in a particular list. But after you have, you have uh, organized and you have reflected upon them and they are on a list, the last thing he says, you need to engage your tasks. In other words, the things never get done unless you do the things. And a lot of times we listen to the word. You are listening to me to preach right now. You are listening to me preaching to you right now. But the question is, how many of you are going to do what I've said? 
Well, if it's in the, in the scriptures, yeah, granted, right? Let's put that disclaimer. How many of you are going to take this word right now and say, you know what, pastor, you're spoken. God has spoken to me and I'm going to do it. How many of you? But it's all, man, the, the, the sermon, I don't know, pastor. I'm, I'm not sure. My brother, you may not be sure about everything. But if something has stuck to you and God has spoken to you, do that. Because the power in the word is when you do the word. Sometimes you say, I want to be stress-free. But God is saying, if you pray and give me all your struggles, then you're going to be stress-free. But you're still stressed. You cannot be stress-free. So the power is in the word when we do the word. And so... If we are to really be impacted mightily and powerfully, we need to understand this antidote. I call it the antidote of wrongdoing, and that is to do the word of God, to live by the word of God. And when the word of God has impacted our lives, then, man, we're going to do amazing and wonderful things. And so this morning, I came to tell you three things. I said, you know what? If you're really to do right, you got to know the habit. that we, we have this tendency to do wrong. And the next thing you need to understand is the impact that wrongdoing does. But once you have understood the impact, then seek the antidote. The antidote is the word. And brother and sister, if you can understand these concepts and allow them to be in your experience, then you're definitely going to dare to do right. You're going to do the right thing. It's not going to be a struggle for you. It's going to be easy by God's grace. I don't know what right things you need to do today. I don't know what changes you need to make. I don't know what God has spoken to you. But today I'm saying dare to do right. God wants to take you to the next level. Will you dare to do right with me today? Will you say, you know what, Lord? Yeah. Yeah, I got it. I'm going to do it. I'll follow your will. I'll follow your way. I will, I will do it, Lord. I will dare to do right. Beginning today. And by the way, dare for more has concluded today. And we ended on that note. Dare to do right. Every head is bowed. Every set of eyes are closed. Some are already sleeping. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your word. And I want to ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to dare to do right. It's not easy to do right. It is easy to do wrong. But Father, we know that doing wrong is bad for business. But Father, today we understand and we realize that we can do right with your grace and with your power. Please, Lord, impact us for you, impact us for your glory, and help us to be followers of Jesus. This I pray in the wonderful and awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you. Amen.